Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. And for the first time in nine months, we have some legitimate football things to talk about, Is that meaning that we have seen the football and we can talk about the football. And much like nine months ago, uh, it certainly, certainly was not a good look for Michigan. They lost at Notre Dame 24-17 on paper. Not a dramatic loss, not not absolutely crazy, but there were some serious, very serious red flags uh, in that first week. They had nine months to prepare for the game. They did not look like they they changed enough. There were some some other issues that that still existed. There were new exist issues that have become prominent, and it was to in my my estimation, it was a game that was close in some ways, but there were a lot of reasons that it should not have been that close. Uh, the score seemed closer than the game at times. But we'll talk about it. I'm Zach Shaw, the host. Steve Lorenz on the phone lines with me. As always, check out our stories at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. Lots of stuff recapping Notre Dame, previewing Western Michigan, talking about what's going on with the team. But Steve, you know, I kind of touched on it here. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the offensive line. We're going to talk about the defense. We're going to talk about the offense. But the, as, as a whole, and this has been kind of one of those pretty regular things in Michigan's recent losses. They've lost four straight. They are nine and nine. I'm, I'm a little wary of that stat, but they are nine and nine in their last 18 games. They've lost seven straight games against ranked teams. It's it's one of those things where the fan panic is exceptionally high. Uh, I know there are, you know, and I'm not just talking about like the Looney Tunes who you know, think Harbaugh should go because there are some, you know, there's that, that like 2% or whatever, the, the hyper vocal, you know, very heavy minority, but even like the, the typical fans, the people on our message boards, the people on, on Twitter, the people that, you know, go to the games and things they're, they're getting a little worried too. And, and we got a couple questions kind of in this vein. Uh, but first on a scale of one to 10, one being you are, Still believing that they will go eleven and one and make the playoff. Ten meaning this is going to be a four, five, or six win team, and that you know this is this is a bad, bad team. What is your panic level at right now, or what should the panic level be? At? Right. Yeah. Right. Because you're not panic. Uh, you're cool as a cucumber. But what should the fans who are emotionally invested in it? What should their panic level be at? Four. Okay. Um, just, just because, and again, this is just, we're going to keep coming back to this probably the entire time we're recording, uh, just because the offensive line looked so pedestrian on Saturday that it's just, uh, you know, like I said, uh, on the site earlier in the week, you know, there's no doubt they're going to improve, but will they improve enough? And that's kind of where I'm at, uh, you know, I, I think there's legitimate reason. I mean, it's it's hard to sit here and, and see what they did and say that they can go three and one against in their four big games that remain on the schedule. Um, right. And uh, you know, and so it, it's yeah, I'd say about a four, uh, which is probably a little bit higher than what I even thought it was going to be. But the more I thought about it, I mean, you got to be, you got to kind of look at 
you know, the big picture as far as, you know, they got beat. It was just the, like I said, just the offensive line played so poorly mm-hmm. uh, that it's hard to, it's hard to fathom or envision them uh, getting good enough to, let's say, stop Ohio State's front four in November. I know that's a couple months away. There's a lot of football to be played, but I mean, that was one of the first things I thought after this game was like, man, no disrespect to Khalid Kareem, who was really, really good, um, but he's no Nick Bosa. Mm-hmm. He's probably not a Chase Young. Uh, and when you got Draymond Jones on the inside, very comparable to Jerry Tillery. Uh, it's just, you know, I don't know. It's going to be, uh, there's quite a mountain to climb there. And I think what's most disappointing is I think, any, any of us, whether we cover the team, whether we're crazy idiot fan or a rational fan, I think it's fair to be critical that you expected more up front uh, in a big game to start the season, you know, with all the yeah. question marks, with all the, I don't, I don't want to say hype because here's the thing is like the hype was driven by the audience. It was not right. Well, we, when we'd preview the team, you know, it's like we were hearing that the Michigan offensive line had improved a lot, but we what were still skeptical. Say? We were still skeptical on the at the tackle positions, like anybody was, with two, with one new starter for sure, and a returning starter or potential returning starter in Bushel Beatty, who, uh, you know, was very up and down last year. Like, uh, you know, so it's, I, I guess, when they're going in front of the camera and making statements about how improved the the unit is how much better it's been. Um, you have to kind of listen uh, to an extent, but like I said, from our standpoint, I know we were still skeptical about what was good, what was going to happen at tackle. I think everybody was at least mm-hmm. people that cover the team closely, you know? So, uh, but in that, with that in mind, I think it was still a, a huge letdown. Um, it, I honestly, I thought it was Ulysio against Florida uh, all over again. That's the way it kind of felt yeah. on the left side. And uh, that's that's not good when really what we were told is that Runyon had locked up the left tackle job probably two weeks, two weeks <laughs> left in the fall camp. I mean, that's a yeah. that's a very scary proposition. Um, well, because that's know, the so, thing is, is, and we'll get into this more, uh, but, you know, it's like everyone's like, oh, well, it can't get any worse. You have to start someone else. No, you don't. And it most certainly can get worse because apparently this was now. Now, one thing I did here is that this is one one person had told me this is kind of a John O'Corn type of situation where when it's practice, when he kind of knows what's coming, when the lights aren't on and, and you're just, you know, in your own right. comfort zone, he's a, he, he was very good. And I and one reason I give this credence is that. I was told the thing that he was the best among the offensive line at was picking up stunts and twists. And lo and behold, in in South Bend, I mean, I don't know. I don't want no, need to go into the rate. I don't know the rate of stunts and twists that he missed. But I think any even like a casual fan could see that was a very serious problem area. So, yep. yeah, it could be one of those things where like they really might not have a better option. Yeah, but are, are, are we not at the point, though? Um, <laughs> you have some talent. You do. First and second year players that have a lot of talent mm-hmm. aren't better off with, with how poorly 
the game was played, aren't you better off throwing a young guy out there and giving him a shot? I mean, well, we can the thing. talk about this right now. Yeah, because I, I think yeah. you're, you know, one thing you can look we at two knew things. This is where this was going to go. I mean, yeah. this is what we're going to end up talking about. It was, <laughs> it, to me, it was the. Well, it, I was it, trying it, to go in the in the order of the questions, but but yeah. we can we can just we can throw them in there. So we appreciate everyone asking. Uh, it obviously shapes our show, gives us things to talk about. But but yeah, as far as the starting thing, I mean, the one. So one case against it is is you don't know I I don't know nobody knows except for the coaches and the, maybe the players how much better or worse Andrew right. Stuber, Jalen Mayfield, James Hudson are. Now I I have heard enough that Bushel Beatty and Hudson were close to believe that um but you don't know how much I mean they could literally not be ready. But the the curious question is does Michigan's current offensive line, will it be good enough to contend for the Big Ten title? And I'm pretty on board with saying no to that. Right. You, can't, so, you can't answer yes after no, Saturday. No. And that's no. that's that's where, like, that's where the whole, like, if one is the bottom, that's where the three that takes me to four and our scale to ten, that's what takes me there. Yeah. Because otherwise... I didn't think they played that poorly. There were some missed opportunities, but overall, I mean, the receivers were open when Patterson had any time to throw. I thought Patterson was fine. I thought he was good, yeah. Yeah, I thought he threw the interception, but it's one interception, and then he's just getting battered and beaten back there again. You know, And, like and he was posted. still making throws. I mean, that's right. a huge and, difference from, from last year, this year. But, but yeah, it's you know, with the, with the offensive line, as I said, you know, as is, I don't think that offensive line can be an offensive line for a Big Ten title team. But what could happen, this is your this is your argument, if you put James Hudson, if you put uh, Jalen Mayfield in there, these ascending players versus fourth-year and fifth-year guys, and and maybe you don't look pretty and you don't look good, against Western Michigan and Southern Methodist, but if all of a sudden you get to the end of the month and they have they are better than what Runyon and Bushel Beatty were because of the game experience, because of the first string snaps, because of the opportunity and the confidence they were given, their ceiling is higher. Right. And then as a result you run the chance of your offensive line being better. And that's that's I, not something I've seen enough practice to know about, but just a general hunch they're younger. They're more explosive. We heard Ed Warner talk about both of them in the offseason as future potential NFL caliber players. Jalen Mayfield, uh, wasn't he supposed to be, wasn't he like 273 pounds when he left high school, but now he's closer to 300? Yeah. You know, there's they're, they're ascending players, and sometimes young and talented might beat out experience. Um. So what are we expecting on Saturday? I, I, I just, do they give... Runyon, in particular, but really, you know, Bushel Beatty. And again, I know pro football focus, not the be all end all, uh, but two of the four lowest graded Power Five offensive tackles yep. in the country. <laughs> and that took a that took a minimum of twenty five snaps on Saturday. That's just yeah. horrible. Uh, just, no, I'm sorry. This neural. No, I mean it. it is. It is. Well. <laughs> I was gonna, uh, it's yeah. just it's just bad. We'll just leave it at it. it's it that's very very yeah. bad. And then you have 
you know, respectable X's and O's guys like Seth at MGO blog does a good job of that stuff as, as basically kind of echoing a lot of that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it reinforces what the layman would have seen on TV, right? You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like somebody yeah. who's not, who's not, doesn't have the playbook, doesn't know the scheme, whatever. Uh, you know, it reinforces kind of what, what was, what you saw with your eyes on Saturday. Well, uh, and- I, I guess, well, I was just going to say, are we going to give, is it just going to be a short leash on Saturday? I think it would then, be irresponsible of the coaches to not play the other guys. I agree. And, well, and, and, and they don't want to start, but it would right. be you would not be doing your job as a coach if you didn't see what you had. And it's kind of unfortunate that it's you'd almost rather it be like Western Michigan than Notre Dame than SMU or something of that nature because it's it's very hard to tell. Western Michigan, they lose four two-deep defensive linemen. None of them really got that much push last year anyways. But I think it would be irresponsible not see what you have in Mayfield, see what you have in Hudson and Stuber. And, and really, I mean, anyone else, you know, I, I still don't I, – I, I don't quite this – is, this is maybe a, an ill-advised statement. I don't quite understand why Ben Bredesen and Chuck Filiaga haven't been tried out at tackle. And, yeah. yeah. Like that's – I mean, I you know they know a lot more than I do about like what body type you need where, but they're both tackle recruits. Well, and you have uh, Spinellis, who is potentially very passable in the middle too, as a guy that could play one of those two guard spots. Right, you have a strength then. in the middle. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, Ruiz struggled for a little bit too, which was a big surprise to me. But he's playing against an All American. Um, you know, I don't know. But eh, I he gets unless, he I'm, gets first game credit though. Right, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I just I agree though. I I and I I I think the leash has to be really short because uh, you have a nice stretch here to acclimate these younger guys. That's kind of the thing. Um, you know, give them you get Western Michigan SMU back to back. Then you get like a little bit more of a challenge with is it Northwestern and then Nebraska, right? I think or it's it Nebraska, Nebraska Northwestern. Okay, well then even more so then. See so that you just think you kind of are every week are playing a progressively better team, and then all of a sudden now you got Wisconsin. Um, it's it's a, actually a a pretty good scenario to give a guy like Hudson or whoever you know a chance to grow. Mm-hmm. with actual on-field play and not just in practice, right? So, um, but yeah, uh, it's just, I mean, this is almost, like I said, it's all we were going to talk about, but at the same time, there's really not much more you can say about it. It's going yeah. to, it's, it's drastically going to hamper their opportunity for a great season um, unless something changes. Unless, I mean, is there a chance that this, they just laid an egg, they'll come out and play better the next, seven or eight weeks, you know, and they, they, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's, here's the thing. And someone asked, uh, uh, was it, who asked it? Someone asked about, um, (laughs) which off season, uh, thing was most exposed, like, like player or thing most hyped about on, and it was exposed on Saturday. I counted, yeah, it was Rick Moody. What was your favorite piece of off-season hype that was exposed Saturday? And Pro Football Focus has their numbers. I went back and watched. I counted 
John Runyon Jr. and Juwan Bush Beatty being responsible for 15 quarterback pressures, and including three sacks in 43 passing snaps. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's one out of every three. They're blowing... And sometimes they would do it at the same time. I counted both of them if they did it at the same time. But one out of three passing snaps, someone's getting by you. And Pro Football Focus, I think, has a slightly lower number for what it's worth. But, I mean, my rule was <laughs> the quarterback has to leave the pocket or alter his plan because he has no time. And so if that's happening one out of every three times because of your offensive tackles, I mean... And the thing is, like, Runyon, that might be I, – I, I'd, I'd want to ask someone who's been around longer. That might be an all-time, like, here's what, what you heard in camp and then here's what was on the field. It's up there for sure. And that's that's I where – yeah, go ahead. No, it is. It's up there. I mean, yeah. There's just no way around it. Um, I mean – Yeah, it, like, I, I mean, like I said, that, sorry. It's like I said, I was, I was trying to think back of uh, – like I said, the, that he had had the tackle job locked up two weeks before, at, into fall camp or with two weeks left in fall camp, you know, and like with the young talent, you know, we'd heard a lot of good things about James Hudson. Uh, you know, we heard really good things about Jalen Mayfield, too. Well, but, Runyon even cited him as a, as a freshman that was standing out, you know. Right, right. So, you know, I, I I agree. The uh, yeah, the range between what we actually saw and what we because think about like I think about a lot of the guys that we've heard in the past get a lot of off season hype. Chris Evans, yep, as Check. a freshman, and yeah, came right in and was like way better than I think anybody thought he was going to be. Uh, trying to think of last year. Well, Khalid Hudson and Devin Bush, but that was almost yep. like a not even like they weren't even like hyping him to say they were hy- like they were just like no they'll be. Really good. <laughs> well, but Hudson, yeah, but Hudson, you know, hadn't done anything to that point. So yeah. he was, I guess he kind of fit the bill there as a, you know, a guy that. So one, lived up to the... one guy that I think could be on the list, but has obviously been a positive player for the most part for Michigan, but maybe never lived up to the offseason hype is Brian Monet. Yep. He actually graded out, by the way, real quick, the guy who asked about the pro football focus grades. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find an FAQ. If you're listening, yeah, that was Chris Nielsen that asked. Yeah, it'd be yeah. better if it'd be better if I just like found the FAQ and posted it, then try to answer it because it is they do have like a pretty lengthy explanation for how they go about grading their guys and stuff. So, um, so yeah, but it's not like thing. arbitrary. It's not just like it's not like a it's not like judges in a diving contest. Like oh, 10. you know, it's no, it's all based on a strict yeah. There's strict criteria yeah. and stuff that they follow. And again. Uh, people are free to do what they want with those grades and numbers. You know, if they don't agree with them or, you know, whatever, that's fine. I don't, well, it's, it's, we're going to use them. I, th- I think there's a correlation to some, some extent. Um, well, like, it's just like my numbers. If I see, if I say John Runyon, because I know this, this number got circulated a lot more than I thought it was going to, the, the eight quarterback pressures allowed by Runyon. If Michigan disagrees, they disagree. If you want to disagree, you can disagree. But that's what I saw. And what, and what you my would, count was. Yeah, and if you had the video in front of you, you'd be able to show why, you, where you saw that, why you said that. Yeah. Too. Not, you know, and you're not just, yeah, you're not just making up numbers. <laughs> just so. like, eh, it looks like it, an eight. So so it's pretty objective. Um, the grading is not a subjective grade, if that makes sense to, to Chris. But anyway, what you were talking about Brian Monet. Yeah, he was great. He graded out pretty well in the middle. Um 
better than any of their other interior linemen uh, on Saturday. And, and so, yeah, I, but, but again, I don't, I think it's probably pretty clear now, not going to be a star. Um, right. You know, which, which again, I mean, he was, yeah, he was a guy coming in, I think thought was going to be a stud. I mean, his high school film was really, really, really good. Um, you know, so I, I agree with your assessment on him in that regard. I'm trying to think uh, if there's anything, cause like, like the classic one, I think when, when it, when, if, if moving forward, if you hear off season praise about someone, I think the one to be the most skeptical about is when they quote turn the corner. You know, yeah. the the freshmen standing out generally, I mean they got a lot of freshmen. You know, they're not they they're, they're not going to praise all of them. They have to pick that. But maybe as a motivation or a confidence boost. I know Lawrence Marshall who has played and been productive, but probably perhaps another one, you know, when someone comes when Greg Madison talks about he's turned the corner and it's you know looking like a starter. And then he is not a starter, uh, even even as a fifth year senior. You know, I think I, I've generally found the turn the corner quotes to be the um, the most un or most off base because they're not untrue all the time. But like maybe it's not maybe turn the corner like you know for like a for someone like you know maybe you get for every Ty Isaac there's a John Runyon. You know, right. so so. Right. Yeah, that's that's probably to to Rick's question. That's it's got to be an all timer. I mean, you know, and it's it's one of those ones where it's like I could go back and read the Ed Warner quotes and and because we were the last people to talk to him, we talked to him in the exclusive back in the end of July, and then uh, you know just like the people were going off script on the record. You know, that's usually the key is if they if they if someone's like, oh, what's John Runyon bringing? And then they say something. I wouldn't take that to the bank, but if they say like. Oh, you know, does the offensive line look improved? And they say, yeah, but especially John Runyon. It was like it seemed to be like this real big push for him, right? And then it was, I mean, you know, he just fell flat. And it's not a, it's not nothing personal against Runyon. We mentioned his name quite a bit uh, in this in this segment, but he just did, you know. And I'm sure he would say he did. So, I almost it's almost to the point where I'm like curious if he can improve more and that he really did just have one bad game because Michigan was really all in on him. And, and like I mentioned, apparently he was among the best offensive linemen in practice at picking up stunts and twists. So you almost wonder, I mean, you know, take Shea Patterson playing against Alabama, three picks, 120 yards. You know, LSU, same same situation, two picks, 130 yards, whatever it was. So players have bad games. Quinn Nordine has missed extra points and field goals that were really easy to make. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Always, are you saying that there's the, always the possibility that he may have just laid an egg and that, that wasn't that, that we didn't see the true player? I I'm I'm with you. I'm very I'm, I'm not, not inclined that. to say that, but I think that there is a chance because otherwise, just the part of me that thinks logically, there is just very little reason for Michigan to pump him up so much and put him at left tackle. Remember, he was going to be on the right side. They moved him yeah. to the left side because he was. They felt like he was doing a better job. Yep. And and so it was. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, and that's that's where I kind of feel bad for college athletes because it's like. John Runyon Jr. is probably like the most 
hated person in Ann Arbor this week, you know, other than, right. you know, it's just like, you know, what if it was just a bad, I, I'm inclined to think that's going to be a problem area for Michigan all season, but maybe right. it won't be that bad of a problem area. So we'll, I guess we'll see. And he gets, a, he doesn't get first year points because he's a fourth year player, but he gets something because he didn't play a ton of tackle before Saturday, at least in games at least against, you know, high high caliber competition, but it's a uh, it's a big problem area. Oh, we got another question in a similar vein. Oh, we got two. And we can answer them quickly. Is your is that your chair? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you need some WD-40 for it. Um but JD uh or I'm sorry, Dave Lewis says, "How does the first game change your season win prediction?" I don't know about you, I really actually I oh I never answered my panic. I think the panic is like five or six or should be five or six. Like I think you can be okay. worried. Um but sure. that said, my win prediction, I'm actually only dropping it one for now. And now if they struggle in the next couple weeks, it might it might have to be lowered, but I, I don't see how they're gonna beat Ohio State, Wisconsin, or Michigan State. Michigan State, it's possible, but they have to improve. And then I still think they're going to beat Penn State. That's the thing is, you know, as bad as Michigan looked, I felt like some of some of the other Big Ten East uh, top tier teams. State, Penn State didn't like; they were far from impressive. Yeah, I give Penn a State should have lost. Yeah, exactly. I think Michigan State gets some points because they they almost played like the anti Air Force, right? Like where it's like it's just going to look really bad because Utah right. State plays so fast. They're such a system team uh, that it's kind of hard to. Hard to actually blow them out, um, and they take just so many shots. Or just I, anyway, but Penn State, I thought had some serious, serious questions raised, which we yep. anticipated to an extent. I don't think either of us was saying Hap State was gonna take them down, but I think I think they bring up some questions, and them playing in Ann Arbor uh, for really the big home game of the year, other than maybe Wisconsin. You know, I think I think that could be. I still think I still see an eight and four team that in and, and it's kind of pivotal these next you know few weeks if they get better well then maybe they improve on that if they get worse then maybe you are looking at a 2013 or 2014 type season that kind of gets away from you so do, does it change your win prediction at all uh, I think I'm feeling like nine and three. I think they'll split the two big games. I don't know which ones. I just, I here's the. I guess this is the flip side. In a lot of ways, they really couldn't have played much worse than they did. It kind of is like last season, and where they still had a drive to tie the game, despite like numerous mistakes in key situations. Uh, horrible offensive line. I mean, they couldn't run the ball and couldn't protect the quarterback mm-hmm. against who Notre Dame's a top. I think they're a top 15 team. I don't know if they're top 10 because, again, I just, I'm not trying to take away credit from them at all because they think they have the right game plan, especially early on, to try to throw the ball up to their big receivers and it worked out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know if they're top 10. I, mean, I guess I don't, kind I of didn't see a top 10 team. I saw a top right. 20 ish team. Right. And so, uh, you know, but the Michigan still like just was in the game, and I think they have their rosters. I do think the roster still from top to bottom is is much better than it was last year. Uh, so I, I'm still a little more optimistic that 
you know, things can turn around or get better or whatever. But I, I'm going to go, I think nine and three is kind of what I'm feeling right now. I think they split, they go two and two in their big four. Okay. And again, I don't, I don't know who they beat. I just, I just think they split those games and, um, you know, so that's where I'm at. That's why, yeah, like watching them play kind of leads, it makes it much easier to kind of gauge where you think they're going to be. Cause we didn't, I would not have like we would not have expected Michigan to play the way they did on Saturday, right? So if we'd have made predictions, before no, but Saturday's I don't game, think anyone was thinking Michigan's going to kick the teeth out of Notre Dame. You know, like a lot of people kind of saw it as a coin flip game, and it was. I think Notre Dame outplayed Michigan by around ten points. So maybe, you know, even though it was a seven point game, like like you know, they were outplayed by a certain amount. But it's not like it's you know this was always going to be a tough game. Like I don't think anyone ever thought, oh Michigan will breeze by Notre Dame. But it's the other four that are big deals. Like they were in that group as like a big five game. I agree. Yeah. Uh, question from JD tweets sports. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but uh, is Michigan's fan base more, less, or just as reactionary as other fan bases you've encountered? So we have only covered Michigan. So that that's something to to note. I think I think it's probably more than many because way up there. Yeah, it's got to be in the top ten um, because of its size. There are a lot of Michigan fans. They fill they fill a one hundred and ten thousand seat stadium. I mean, there's there's Big Ten teams that might not have that many people like listen or watch the game. Maybe that's not totally true, but. Uh, it it just seems, I mean, it's regarded as, I believe it's right behind Ohio State for the biggest fan base in the country as far as size. You know, Alabama's up there, Penn State's up there, uh, Texas is up there. But, you know, it's a huge fan base. And it's also, you know, there's two factors. One, size and, and do people care about your program? And then also the desperation. So I'd say probably the most reactionary fan bases in today's game are Nebraska, Tennessee, Texas, and then I'd probably put Michigan in there. I mean, I know, I know Penn so state five programs that have used to win a ton, haven't won lately and have giant frustrated fan bases. Yeah, pretty much. They're all, all those five <laughs> of those programs are, I mean, matter. I mean, really though, you could argue that Michigan's had more success. Not recently Texas. Than those. Well, I mean, what? When did Texas win the title? Oh four. Yeah, oh five or something like that. I mean, it's like it's thirteen years ago. Well, I you suppose. Know? I suppose you're Michigan had two ten win seasons in there. I mean, when's the last time Nebraska or Tennessee came even? Well, I guess Nebraska had some nine win seasons, but um, no, I, I don't. I don't disagree. I mean, it's just funny because those like five programs are they have a couple things similar. very similar in common. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I would, that's. I would throw, yeah. I would throw uh, sorry, I would throw Florida State in there too. Now, that's not because, I mean, they've obviously had recent success, um, but I know that their fan base is notorious for uh, being very difficult uh, to deal with uh, as far as. I think Texas A&M is up there too as a program. Uh, so, I, I don't know. Um, but Michigan, I think Michigan's top five for sure. But it is there's there's a it's this it's this like perfect storm of horrible stuff. Like they haven't won, you know, they've struggled on the field under their last two head coaches in Hoke and, and Rodriguez. They hire a guy 
who's had massive success everywhere he's gone, turned Stanford around, almost won a Super Bowl, you know, has produced countless NFL players uh, and produced, you know, has one of the better winning percentages in NFL history in like whatever game, like 75 games coached or minimum or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a Michigan guy, Michigan alum, played for Michigan, won big at Michigan, was a player. So you have those two things. Then you have, yeah, like just a huge fan base. And then you have, you know, the expectations kind of follow Harbaugh because of what he's done. You know, and you kind of stir all that stuff together and you have like, yeah, like a combustible mixture if things don't go properly or go perfectly, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I I think Michigan's right at or near the top, you know, is I think I know it's yeah. I think one thing that's a little different and and you can you're welcome to disagree. But my personal stance is that in having been uh, spent a good amount of time, you know, growing up traveling to the south and. And my personal stance is that Michigan, while they do have a big fan base, I think that the number of fans, because we talked about like which fans are like the worst. It's the ones who tie their self-esteem to the success of their football team. Yes. I think Michigan has a lower rate of that than, say, of Tennessee. Nebraska is interesting because there are no pro sports teams to root for. So they'll like you know, 5,000 people at their baseball games and they'll fill up their 16,000 seat basketball arena. Uh, it's very, very fascinating culture there, you know, and, and I, th- I think back to like Tennessee, it's like, you know, they, they lost like a sweet 16 game to Michigan and uh, went to war with Jordan Morgan, basically. <laughs> I mean, it was just, right. and, and, you know, I, so I think back to like some of that stuff. I think that's, that's one thing that keeps Michigan from being number one because yeah, ha- I mean, they haven't been a top five team since 1999 they haven't finished as a top five team i should say they've not won a conference title in 14 years you know and and neither of those things look like certainties to happen this year either so already you know (laughs) after one day um so that yeah it's gotta be it's gotta be up there and didn't didn't 24 7 sports do like a survey of recruits for like the most annoying fan bases and it was pretty much the same groups it was like michigan tennessee Texas, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Ohio State got in there as well. Yeah, so it's got to be. I well, mean, the big, I mean, the big, the size of the fan base is going to be, you know, be there. In that. Right. I mean, I think Bama was probably up there, right? And it's like, no duh, because everybody hates Bama because they keep winning, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know. Like I said, it's hard to answer it too thoroughly because you don't cover other teams like you know like week to week but i just know like uh i don't know there's definitely like a huge sky is falling mentality with michigan fans i think right now yeah even if they had one even if they had one on saturday i i just it feel like next loss it would have been well would have been no but even if they had won on saturday i feel like there'd have been still a lot of well, this team can't you know, make it through this schedule. Yeah, you know, which again, I mean, who knows? Might have been true. Yeah, I still, think it might but, actually be true. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it, you know, there's, uh, you know, like I know, like I just say it was. I'm glad it was a holiday weekend because, like, it's like doing this. Like, I enjoy like even when they lose, I don't mind breaking down the game, talking with fans about the game on the board, not in real life. Um, 
you know, and, and that type of stuff. But it's like, it's, it's, it's depressing to try to do it, you know, on our board. And like I said, I don't think that's just a Michigan thing. Um, but it's like, it, it's hard to get motivated to even want to try to discuss. I mean, there are plenty of rational fans on our site, you know, probably, I think they out, I, they do outweigh the, yeah, it's a vocal minority, but it's a very right. vocal minority that, that really, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's, it's an interesting thing because our jobs don't exist without the fan passion, but it definitely is like the part of, I mean, like I, I haven't even gone on the message board in a few days. Yeah. So like I said, I'd, I'd love, you know, even after a tough loss like that, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind waking up on a Sunday and like, you know, talking it through with fans and discussing it and stuff, but it's like, you can't, you can't even attempt to, yeah. You know, if you ask people to try to talk about it rationally, it's it's impossible, you know. So I always try – that's why, I like, the optimist-pessimist piece I wrote, I didn't publish it until, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday because – People were like, not the, ready for the optimist part. Yeah, you know, and so it's <laughs> like even though there were some things in that game that were – I think re, that gave you some reason for optimism, you know, and so, like, it's not all pessimistic coming out of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got beat on the road by a definitely a top 25 team. Yeah, uh, yeah. I you know, by a touchdown that. in a game that they didn't really play that well, it you know could have been way, way worse. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're tough to deal with, but I don't think it is. It's yeah, it's a lot of it's driven by just the sheer size. Right, and, right. So so to to the to answer the question, more than most, about the same as most in this echelon of fan bases this size and this passion. If that yeah, so. So yeah, definitely probably in the top five, definitely in the top ten, probably in the top five. Um, anyway, back to back to football. Uh, um, what do you want? You want to talk offense, recruiting, or defense next? Well, the recruiting one was easy. They just asked if this is this loss is going to affect. Yeah. Um, I think the only only way it will affect is that Notre Dame impressed. You know, we talked about last week that they're recruiting a lot of the same guys. Yeah. And that it was that Notre Dame just really impressed uh, with the atmosphere and just the, the way it went. It's not so much about Michigan being the team that they lost or that, that lost. You know, I don't think a guy's like, oh, well, Michigan lost. I think I want to go to Notre Dame now instead. Yeah. It's more about, I mean, Notre Dame could have been playing Stanford. You're right. You know what I mean? Like, or mm-hmm. they could have been playing somebody else and won the game. I think it's more about the atmosphere and more about, uh, you know, just a kind of your standard big game recruiting yeah. deal. Where yeah. Well, if Michigan had come it, out and won by 20, you know, it sure right. would help, right? Yeah, right. Like, like <laughs> I said, it was one of those uh, can't hurt, but how much does it help? It's kind of the same way in the other regard. It can't help, but I don't know how much it, like, like if a mutual target picks, Mich- or picks Notre Dame, it'll be because they had a great experience at Notre Dame, not because Notre Dame beat Michigan mm-hmm. per se. You know what I mean? Yeah. So one um, thing so, I think w- that could keep in mind, right? And I, I feel like I've, I feel like I've seen a few recruits kind of do a between the lines sort of quote on this. Um, if Michigan really does whiff on all of its big games this year, then I don't think you will see. I think that would hurt their recruiting momentum. Oh, 100. 100. Yeah. Now that's yeah. there's no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean that's and that's what happened last year, right? You know, like I still like like you know we go back in the 18 class, 
you know, the early returns do seem to be pretty positive there. But, you know, what happened, and this is where it would hurt them this year, is, you know, where Michigan struggled in 18 was not in the guys that they took. It was in the guys that they missed on late. So the Nick Petit Frere, the Jarrett Pattersons, the Tyler Fridays, you know, and that's, and those could be attributed to their struggles. Now, again, the Tyler Friday one may be a little bit of a different, different story, the negative recruiting going on there, but, and it worked. So I guess whatever, but, um, but that's where you can kind of, that's where the impact can be gauged. So like Michigan art is recruiting, you know, some elite guys that are probably going to wait to decide. And so I think, yeah, you lose four or five games again. You're not the prestigious. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to have an impact. Yeah. You know, and that's where, and that's where like it outweighs the, you know, the two things I've been adamant about. There's two things that most prospects, most elite prospects, I guess I would say, look for. It's will we win and will I get to the pros? And, you know, I still think Michigan's going to keep pumping out a bunch of pros Mm -hmm. when they have guys who are eligible to go. Aren't they and USC the only schools that have never had a NFL draft where they didn't get players drafted? Something like that. I know you know Michigan State actually has a really long streak. They do. I think they're seventy eight years. I think Michigan's eighty years. Yeah. So there are a few schools that have you know kind of quietly gone a long time having somebody draft every year. You know, and that, that'll continue. And they'll they'll be putting them out in droves. I mean, you know, Long Hill, Hudson, Bush, Gary, Winovich, Gentry. You know, I'm sure would Patterson's time comes. Ruiz. I mean, there's so many guys in this yeah. on this roster right now that will play in the NFL someday. You know, so that, they'll always have that pitch. But I, I've always, you know, been pretty adamant that it's a two part deal, and that I've also been adamant that if Michigan can win some big games, their recruiting is going to go through the roof because they'll have both of those things to pitch. But then they'll also kind of have that extra academic aspect. You know, that that some guys that can be kind of a wild card with certain guys, you know, and so. Mm -hmm. um, So, yeah, Yeah. we'll see. Well, and think about, I mean, you know, just to close to tie this one up. I mean, how many recruiting battles in the last? Well, forever, but also specifically under Harbaugh have been Michigan versus Ohio State, Michigan versus Penn State, Michigan versus Michigan State, Michigan versus Wisconsin has happened a couple times. Michigan versus Notre Dame, you know, so. So if you beat some of those teams, or more importantly, if you look like you're going to be better than some of those programs moving forward, right? Then that then you can get some recruits because yeah, I mean as you said, like the win is not a big deal, but being a top ten team this year, right? Where it's like maybe uh, hypothetically Penn State falls off, you know, well then you can sell. Michigan's on the upswing. Penn State was made by Joe Moorhead and Saquon Barkley, you know, you can. Right. You know, and so or like Wisconsin, well, it's the, it's the, yeah. It's the cumulative. It's the cumulative because, well, for instance, it's did Michigan's win against Florida to begin the season really end up reeling anybody in? No. You know, it was eight and five. Yeah. That really Versus ended up seven defining. And six. The, <laughs> yeah, it ended up defining the finish. Yeah. And so, um, and so, I don't feel any differently about this year. I mean, if they come back and if they rebound and win ten games, eleven games then their recruiting class is going to be really good. Uh, if they eight, let's say nine, nine, maybe the baseline. Uh, yeah. Then I think you'll see some struggles to finish as far as the big names. 
yeah, you know, they'll have to do some more digging, which I know fans love to hear that, but <laughs> that's yeah. the way it works. So. Anyway, let's switch yep. to uh, – I'm going to boil this offense things. question down to, to one question um, because, one, we're short on time, two, because I think that could go on for hours and hours. But Rugby for Life asks, when will the offense actually look competent – Seems like it's been lost since Iowa. Uh, whether you agree, I, I I tend to. I mean, that's when the nine and nine yeah, record started, fair. and but but it has been enough different players. I I don't know if I I'm I'm totally sold on t- tying them all together. But when will the offense look competent? Because we talked about we you know we both liked what Shea Patterson brought to the table. I thought Absolutely. Nico Collins, Oliver Martin, um, Grant Perry, and Donovan Peoples Jones. Every single one of them looked better on Saturday than they did last season. And I don't really get the Donovan Peoples Jones. People were like saying he was like disappointing and stuff. If anything, here's the other real quick. Remember what I broke down with the talk about Pro Football Focus. One of the quieter red flags of the game was how poorly Michigan's receivers graded out from the running run block standpoint. Yeah, uh, that was bad. But I, I, you know, I thought all of the receivers, I thought the receiving core as a whole looked way better on Saturday than they did at any point last year, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was, it was, and maybe that's just better route running, or maybe that's better route design. Uh, you know, I, I still think Michigan could find a way to to do like a three seconds or less, like a a D'Antoni kind of football version of offense, knowing that they can't protect anybody. But anyway, anyway, there were there was encouraging signs in the passing game. You know, I still think people believe in Karan Higdon and Chris Evans. So there is, you know, whether or not the tackles figured out, there is a, a a potential upward trajectory for Michigan's offense. And so the question is, if that's to come to fruition, realistically speaking, you know, knowing that there are there are new coaches, Ed Warner is new, uh, uh, Jim McElwain is new, Pep Hamilton is not new. But it sounds like he might have been given more of the steering wheel this year than in the past. Uh, you know, so no, is Sharon Moore is new. So what, what, when will the offense, realistically speaking, look competent, supposing that it does? And then also, I'm curious because we saw them do some spread concepts. We saw them do some old school power concepts. I mean, what? What what sort of identity, if you're projecting, does this offense take, having seen what they saw Saturday, and then how long does it take before this offense is performing at, say, a top 50 level? It's kind of taking the taking the question as, as, as if it were to happen, because I don't know if it will happen. But say it does, how long yeah. would it take to materialize, and then what does that identity look like? I mean, does it... It it it's again we're, I mean not that we're spinning you know running on a treadmill here, but it's going to be whenever the offensive line can can block against a legitimate opponent. Like I said, I mean the thing is is like that's where it's like I thought Patterson was fine because not only was he not getting time to throw when he was throwing, but Michigan didn't do a good enough job of running the ball to open those lanes up either, and so you know it's once the once they can gel up front and start to play some quality football, I mean, that's, that's when they'll get there. And that's the thing is like, I, I, I don't know. I thought the backs, 
you know, I thought Higdon, there was one, one run where Higdon missed a huge hole. Um, but I thought he was all right. And, oh, we've, we haven't mentioned Chris Evans in the passing game yet. Uh, just, I don't know why they aren't doing that a lot more often. By the um, way, we didn't yeah. get any for the podcast. I have no idea why Chris Evans didn't play more in the first half. Yeah, we have our we suspect we have our suspicions correct, but yes, and I think it, you can guess only, what those suspicions are. But it's he the was only at, reason. Yeah, it's the only reason that makes sense. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's when they that was the only time, and I don't you know I don't know if Notre Dame was in prevent defense. I don't know, but it, you got it like. You have to. I, I, there's the one thing, I guess. The other thing besides the offensive line, and this is the other thing. Like, I didn't think the play calling was horrible, like a lot of other people did. It's just they just couldn't block anybody. So it's hard to call plays when you can't block. Yeah, properly. play calling. I think I mentioned this in my uh, ten kind of lasting takeaways from it. But play calling to me is a lot like officiating. No one really cares when it goes in favor of your team. Like you know, like right. if the play works, no one's questioning the play calling. They only question the play action from a 2-2 set on the on uh, what first and goal or second and goal from the two-yard line. They only question it when it turns out to be an eight-yard sack. Right. Well, and if Zach Gentry catches the ball in the end zone and Will Hart doesn't muff the snap on the field goal, I'm sure the play calling is not as railed on, you know. Um, but, but the one aspect of what they're doing offensively is I, I just I can't fathom why Evans isn't more of a factor in the passing game. Not saying don't give him carries. Well, and frankly, like, he needs to be more of a factor in the running game. Right, I, I mean, right. you know, it's not like he was this slouch in the run. I mean, he, had, he averaged like seven yards a carry in the final five games last year, or uh, right. six games, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Kind um, of the guy that a lot of ways kept him in the Ohio State game. He did. Really. He did. I, you know, yeah. and so, um, yeah, I'm that their usage of him is a little confusing to me. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I know that it's been mentioned. Was it? I don't know if McElwain, if it was brought up to him. I know the stuff about Ambry Thomas, offensively. Um, yeah, I think those. I'm I'm wary because no one's gone out of their way to say it. I'm not wary. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be it's shocked. Sh- but like you know, it's more of a. Hey, do you think you'll use Ambry Thomas in the pa- in the offense? Yeah, maybe. Versus like a. Oh, is there any any new wrinkles you're adding? Yeah, we're gonna add Ambry Thomas to the like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, you right. know, they're they're just kind of answering the question a little bit. Uh, but they could. I mean, he's that he's really really good, and I think he almost has a better opportunity to see playing time on offense right now than he does on defense with the way the the cornerback situation is. I mean, Watson looked mighty good. Uh, so uh, anyway, real quick, since we don't have too much time left, uh, defensive questions. Wheel asks, has Brad Hawkins earned more playing time? I know you had kind of mentioned it. They might have a, I mean, I, I don't know if he should start, but it sure seems like he earned more playing time, you know, other than his, that one touchdown he let up, which was literally his first coverage snap as a college football player. You know, other than that, which honestly wasn't played that poorly. He kind of came back and had a one of the better defensive games i agree so so yes he's earned more playing time in your opinion yes yeah did you i strongly strongly agree with that actually yeah Yeah. did you um follow i'm gonna have a story on him probably friday but 
I didn't realize he was the one. Maybe you knew this because you cover this stuff. I didn't realize he was the one that suggested playing defense in college. Yeah. Well, I mean, because, well, I mean, man, look at his receiver film. Right. No doubt he could play receiver. He's another guy. What? Maybe throw him on the offensive side of the ball. <laughs> Just have no, a whole really bunch no. of five, well, ten to six, no. one guys running around. But these guys are all versatile. I mean, Hawkins yeah. is a little bit. He's a little bit longer than Ambry is, I believe. I think uh, so. Ambry's got really long arms, but he's not as tall standing wise. Um, you know, as a guy that, you know, I don't know, a lot of weapons. They're never afraid to use them on both both sides of the ball. You know, that's and the other thing is what I always look for is. And this is why I kind of tend to believe that the Tom maybe they will give Thomas some snaps on offense. I always look at who they use on special teams. Yeah, and uh, I think there's some trust. That means that there's some trust there, you know. So when they have because as Hawkins they ran out to begin the as a true freshman, I think his first game, I think he returned kickoffs. Yeah, it was him and Thomas. Yeah, yeah, and I think that says two things: a, they definitely are two of the best athletes on the team, and Mm -hmm. b, they trust them. Yeah. You know, and so I think it's uh, it's always noteworthy, you know, when when that type of stuff gets brought up. Uh, also, special teams looked pretty good, other than the the botched field goal. I thought the blocking was better, the schemes were better, punting looked like a strength. Yeah, I Will when Hart I, had a had a good game besides the the botch, but his punt it from the strictly a punting aspect, I thought he had a good game. Yeah, and then honestly, Donovan Peoples Jones, when I rewatched that on film, I I kind of see why he chose to return it. It was kind of a lower punt. And he had a little bit of space. It was that stutter step that killed him. That uh, was my – I was off on that because I agree. I wrote that I thought it was a difficult – that it was a poor decision. But, I, yeah, it's the same here. I went back, watched it. Um, it wasn't – with, with such little time in the half, I think it made sense to give it a shot. And that, But, he, yeah, he just didn't execute properly, let's say, right? Yeah. Like he made the right decision, but he didn't execute it properly, I guess would be the best way to put yeah, it. Yeah, so. yeah. So, anyway – not as down on that. Uh, yeah, I thought the special teams across the board were good. So a couple, uh, one, one question that I think is worth noting. I thought I wrote a story on this. Maybe I, maybe, I did write a story on this. Uh, but anyway, Cash, aka Cash Capone, on Twitter says, for two years now, I've watched uh, Michigan's high potent defense continuously over pursue and play out of control. When will Coach Brown address this? I'm going to answer this very succinctly and then offer an explanation if needed, but he will address that when he needs to address it because this defense, although it gives up big plays, is strong because they bring the house, because they go for the, you know, they play man coverage, because they go for the quarterback. Now, I do think there are a couple situations, and I think Devin Bush and Devin Gill stood out to me on film as two players who could improve in this regard where when you are the spy man you cannot put yourself in position to get caught in the wash and and yeah, have yeah out. yeah you know because because i saw i mean the, the classic one i think was on the on the play before the big touchdown throw for notre dame is devin bush he's the spy man but he's like kind of creeping up thinking that he's going to get him and he he shades over to to the um to the right side of the offensive line and then brandon wimbush takes off to the left makes it to the sideline and gets a first down. It's a third and six. If he doesn't convert it, there's no score there. It's a punt, whole different ball game. I mean, literally a seven-point swing if you want to really be technical about it. So 
I think that's one thing is just like teaching the the nuances of playing this kind of defense. I don't think they need to drop into a zone on third downs. I don't think they need to, uh, you know, be conservative. I think they can do what they do because the results were there, even in their losses last year. Right. You know, to co- to to cash Capone. You know, yes, you've watched that for two years, but you know, you've also watched. Ohio State score, what, 14 points in the first half when they normally score 45 points a game. You've watched Wisconsin have, what, seven points in the first half. You've watched uh, Michigan trail Penn State by one in the most crazy atmosphere I've ever seen. You've watched Michigan State score nothing in the second half. You know, you can go down the list. Even when they play good teams, their defense is there. So kind of like another question we got, has Rashawn Gary lived up to his number one recruit billing? No, he's not the number one recruit you know, player in that from that class right now. But he's very good. And I think I think he's not saying it, but I think he was a little dinged up. Uh and he still had by my count three quarterback pressures. So, you know, no, he's not gonna win the defensive end player of the year award based on what he did on Saturday. But he's still very good. And that's you know, I think I said this to someone else when they were asking about uh oh who'd they ask about? I can't remember, but I was like, this is not if you're a Michigan fan, this should not be one of your top five problems right now. You know? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I do. I, uh, you know, I, I just, I could see where the third and 18 is frustrating, though. Because that's. That one was, that, yeah. That's been reoccurring. Well, mobile quarterbacks are a problem for this defense. That's And that's the thing. You know, you play, I mean, so they got Wimbush. Lewerke's yep. not a dual threat, but Lewerke makes a lot of plays on his legs. Uh huh. That's what that's what killed him against Barrett. Adrian you know? Martinez. Yeah, you know. So it's Trace it's, McSorley. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's that's what I was getting. At. So three. I don't and I, I don't know. Haskins maybe like in the middle. I guess like he's not. I don't think he's as uh, fleet of foot as say Lewerke is. But he's also yeah. not a statue necessarily, right? Well, he had that um, twenty-two yard run against Michigan that set up a touchdown. There you go. So, so that's the that's if there's one thing, that's kind of the thing that. You know, that is, I could, as a fan, I think would be very frustrating to watch. By the way, the quarterbacks that we listed, just because I have the stat, they averaged um, 6.8 yards per carry, sack adjusted yards per carry against the Wolverines. Yeah, that's not, that's seven yards a pop is not good. That's way uh, worse than what Michigan normally allows of running backs. Right, exactly. That's, and that's, you'd be interesting that the difference between the two. And, uh, you know, so that's, and because I think it's what's so frustrating is that it just, it, feels like it it's that should be so preventable uh i thought third and 18 was the most frustrating play of the entire game not saying well, that's a backbreaker that, yeah yeah i thought the defense because just because these guys work so hard and play so well and they to lose it on a you know and, and like the thing with gary and winovich is like they did their jobs i thought one of the differences in the game were that michigan's ends were getting around the edge almost at will but the tackles but, well but the the pocket when when the quarterback on each side of the ball would step up into the pocket, one of them had lanes to make to run out of and make plays. The other one didn't, and that's I thought was the biggest difference in the game. Wimbush had pockets and and seams to to get through to squeeze through to either decide to throw or run, whereas Patterson really didn't have anything. Yeah. So well, yeah, and that's point. that's where Notre Dame's defensive tackles outplayed Michigan's defensive right, tackles. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, which, 
you know, that's something we didn't really end up talking about. But I thought the interior of the line was interesting. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. But but yeah, I saw. I agree for the with the rest of it. I mean, seven of those points went right through Michigan's hands. So it's like coaching. How much of that was co- like the coaches put him in the right spot to succeed there? And again, we're saying this about Hawkins, who I like. I said I thought I liked how he played. Like it's not yeah. a, not knocking on him because I thought for the most part he played really really well actually. Um, it's just you know that's seven points. So now you're down to seventeen. Um, you yeah. know, like yeah. I, guys. So I I think I, I agree for the most part. I mean, ninety yeah. percent of Michigan's issues are offensive. Mm-hmm. Like, so so real quick because uh, we are low on time here. What Looking at Western Michigan, I think we both expect Michigan to win, and I'll have lots of preview content explaining why, but what, other than a win, would count as a successful Saturday for the Wolverines? Like, what's what are one or two things that they need to do for it to be considered a successful win other than just the result? I mean, I, it's really hard to answer because when I was one of the other things I posted this week was, like, okay, so say they come out and they just you know run them out of the run them off the field or whatever. Say the offensive line looks better, right? Like they should look better against an inferior opponent. To me, I think the answers will be more in, internal because it's like as a coach, like or from where I sit, for me it's good. It'd be it's going to be hard to tell on Saturday, no matter how they look. Like, did they really? Are they really improving? Did they really improve? You know, and like because you're when you're playing against an inferior opponent, you should look better than you are against a good opponent. So like to me, it's going to be more of the, you know, when the coaches go into the film room next Monday, are they going to be able to decipher or see, like, hey, this the the offensive line did play a lot better, you know, because it's like what I'm saying. I guess what I'm trying to maybe this is all confusing, but what I'm saying bit. is like, well, no, but like. Say Runyon could play at the same level he did against Notre Dame, but he's going to look better because yeah. they're playing Western Michigan. That's fair. So it's like, to me, it's going to be more about like I don't know if you or I or most people are going to be able to watch the game and th- see things where we're like, oh yeah, that's definitely a that's not just a win on the you know the scoreboard, but it's a I think this is a win. I think they got better this week. You know, that's going to be something I think that really only the coaches are really going to be able to answer like next Monday or Tuesday after they break it down, you know, because like I said, for all we know, the offensive line could play at about the same level they did against Notre Dame, but they're going to produce because they're playing a more, much more inferior opponent, you know? So I, I don't, it's just kind of hard to answer that. Yeah. Cause I expect them to win. I expect them to score a decent amount of points. Yeah. You know? I don't think Western Michigan's defense is anything to write home about. So, so in that regard, I think two things that, that I think could count as a success better red zone success we didn't really talk about it today but they had five trips inside notre dame's 25 and they came away with 10 offensive points total so you know finding nico collins in the end zone finding zach gentry converting some semblance of of a red zone offense i think is a big one and then obviously the offensive line i think i think seeing what everyone has and getting legitimate game to fate film that you can break down in practice and things that you can do uh, and, you know, so Jalen Mayfield knows what he has to work on. So that James Hudson knows what he has to work on. I think getting legitimate film on everybody would count as a success as well. So anyway, that's going to do it for the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. 
Check out all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. For Steve Lorenz on the phone, I'm Zach Shaw. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you next time.